Welcome again to Change Your Mind About You, where we are on a journey together to awaken to our true identity. I'm your host, Kevin Mack, and today we're going to talk about the always timely subject of healing. As the global pandemic continues to remind us on a daily basis, our personal and collective health and well-being affects every aspect of our lives. From our ability to effectively work and to be productive, to partaking of our favorite social activities with family and friends, COVID-19 has affected all of that in some way, shape, or form. The disease has extracted from us not only that physical toll in terms of lost lives, lost loved ones, but also has been an enormous source of mental and psychological stress. Millions have lost their jobs and livelihoods due to forced business closures, while others who've lived alone suffered from isolation from family, friends, and associates. All this came on top of what has to be considered a crisis in degenerative disease. For example, the CDC tells us that 6 of 10 Americans have at least one chronic disease, while 4 of 10 have two or more. These chronic conditions include heart disease, various cancers, diabetes, and Alzheimer's disease. Well, we know all this. All of us, in fact, cannot be truly happy unless we're healthy. No one really wants to be sick, yet illness in some form always seems to be plaguing us as as we have experienced. Is there any way to escape from all this? Indeed, there is. But how? It's time for us to relearn what I call the golden rule of healing. Yes, I said relearn because it's a principle we have forgotten, yet we need to look no further than our own bodies to recall it. The golden rule of healing simply stated is this. All healing takes place from the inside out. Now let's consider our bodies in that context. Let's say you cut your finger. How does your body respond to that? Well, the first thing it does is it goes to work directing the bloodstream to build a clot at the site of the wound. So blood loss is, is prevented uh, from going any further. After that, white blood cells are carried to the site to destroy bacteria and prepare the wounded area for healing. Once that takes place, finally the skin is pulled tightly together at the affected region until new tissue forms and the skin is fully restored. Notice that entire process starts on the inside and works its way to the outside. We not only see this in the natural healing of cuts, but also with bruises and fractured bones. It's entirely an inside-out process. So when we talk about healing of any kind, it all begins inside of us and is, pro- and is progressive in effect. For example, a sick patient, a sick patient actually gets better on the inside before looking better on the outside. So as the substance of healing occurs within, the external evidence often lags behind until it shows outside of us. Healing not only applies, and in this context, healing not only applies 
to our physical bodies, injury and sickness, but also more broadly to relationships between individuals. Life can't exist without relationships. After all, life is shared experience, isn't it? And during that experience, conflicts inevitably arise. The healing of conflict also begins within our mind through altering our personal perceptions. As we act constructively on those perceptual shifts, such conflicts can be resolved. But as history teaches us, doing this often proves to be very challenging and more difficult than we expect. Yet, if we ever hope to achieve world peace, such relational healing also needs to extend from the personal to the collective level. That process is well described by a Chinese proverb I heard long ago. It goes like this. When there's joy in the soul, there's beauty in the person. When there's beauty in the person, there is harmony in the home. When there is harmony in the home, there's stability in the nation. And when there's stability in the nation, there is peace on earth. According to the proverb, the path toward world peace begins with joy in the soul. The soul now is the spiritual or immaterial part of each human being. It may also be referred to as the inner life. All of us possess this inner soul or spiritual life. Now, whether you consider yourself a spiritual person or not, all of us possess a spiritual component to our lives. And the road to world peace begins with that part of us in a state of joy. Why is that? The condition of our spiritual life, our soul, governs all our relationships with one another, which leads us to a few important questions. Firstly, at a personal level, do all of your relationships bring joy to your life? Secondly, would you say collectively that our relationships today could use more joy? And finally, do you think our personal and collective relationships are in need of healing? Are we in need of healing from the inside out? Let's look at some trends over the past several decades that have hindered us from experiencing this joy in the soul. Over the past 50 years, American homes have gotten larger while families have gotten smaller. Thus, American family members today have much more in the way of personal space than the family of 50 years ago. While this may sound good on the surface, let's bear in mind that joy in the soul is once again an inner phenomenon and a shared experience. The typical family of 50 years ago packed more people into smaller space, into smaller quarters, but at the same time 
that afforded them a greater opportunity to engage in shared life experience. For example, in my childhood home, I grew up with three brothers, one sister, and several pets. My parents raised us in a three-bedroom ranch with one bathroom. We all shared our bedrooms. None of us had any private space. Needless to say, though, we spent a lot of time together. And one thing you could always count on is dinner together. The expectation around dinner time was you would drop whatever you were doing, whether it be playing, homework, or watching TV, and come to dinner. It was family together time. Today, it's much different. Today in America, we have largely dispensed with family mealtime. With both parents working and the kids with multiple activities, we live life in hyperdrive as compared with 50 years ago. Our larger dwellings with fewer people in them have given us more personal space, but has had the effect of further isolating us from one another. This form of isolation has contributed to the current adverse effects on the state of mind of our young people. Here are a few disturbing trends published by the National Institute for Healthcare Management. Mental illness is rising faster among 18 to 25-year-olds than the rest of the population. And to go along with that, 75% of all mental illnesses develop by the time people reach age 24. And as for our young people, our younger people, nearly one in three teens aged 13 to 18 has an anxiety disorder. And less than 50% of those same young people receive treatment for these conditions, far less than that of adults. Also, there's the issue of suicide rates. Suicide rates during the period of 2000, the year 2000, to 2017 rose 67% among 10 to 14-year-olds, 48% among 15 to 19-year-olds, and 36% among 20 to 24-year-olds. When you combine our busy lifestyles with more private space for children, it's easy to see how we can become more isolated from one another. And of course, loneliness, which comes from isolation, is associated with greater anxiety, depression, and suicide, as we have seen in some of the uh, statistics published by the NIHCM. Now I ask you, does this trend point toward greater union or greater isolation, greater separation as compared to 50 years ago? Yet another trend toward separation is the rapid increase in the number of single-person households, people living alone. According to an article published in Our World Data, and I quote from there, in the U.S., the share of adults who live alone nearly doubled over the last 50 years. This is not only happening in the U.S. 
Single-person households have become increasingly common in many countries across the world, from Angola to Japan. Surveys and census data from recent decades show that people are more likely to live alone in rich countries, and the prevalence of single-person households today is unprecedented historically. End quote. The prevalence of living alone in rich countries is very likely spawned by the ability to afford it. In fact, studies also show that the wealthier you become, the greater the likelihood that you'll become more socially isolated. And speaking of social isolation... That's an issue that's been compounded by the COVID-19 pandemic, which has been a source of imposing restrictions on a variety of social gatherings, both personal and professional. COVID has had the effect of further isolating us from one another. What other trends have we experienced in recent decades? The past 20 years or so, we've witnessed a literal explosion in the growth of communication technology. Today, nearly everyone owns a smartphone that provides us with instant access to all sorts of information and entertainment options, internet access to various social media platforms, and video conferencing technologies such as Zoom have transformed the nature of both leisure and work activities. Getting in touch with others has never been easier and more accessible. What effect have these relative recent changes in communication forms had on our relationships? According to a 2018 study done by members of the School of Communication at Brigham Young University, and I quote from there, results revealed that the more time an individual spent on social media the more likely they were to experience a negative impact on their overall emotional well-being and decreased quality in their relationships. Emotional well-being also mediated the relationship between time spent using social media and the quality of that user's relationships, meaning that the more time a person spent on social media, the more likely their emotional well-being declined which then negatively impacted their relationships, end quote. A study published in News Medical in the year 2020, titled Kids Spending Too Much Time Gaming, discussed the effects of multiple hours spent playing video games on relationships. Here's a quick overview of what they reported. And I quote, On an average, according to the parent survey, Adolescent boys are spending around three hours a day playing video games. Around nine in ten parents surveyed said that their children were spending too much time gaming, so much so that their daily and family interactions are affected. The survey shows that gaming is interfering with sleep in 44% of cases, with social interactions in 44% of cases, with friendships with peers who are not gaming with them by 33%, with homework in 34%, 
and with extracurricular activities in 31% of cases, end quote. So we can see that technology has played a considerable role in isolating us from one another. Kind of odd, since much of it is called communication technology. It's called that because of its outward function. But real communication is related to healing and is an inward phenomenon. More on this topic later. One more trend that cannot be ignored is the nature of our public discourse in terms of economic and social policy. There appears to be much more unwillingness on the parts of Republicans and Democrats to cross party lines to reach compromise solutions. The trend toward voting strictly along ideological party lines is another indicator away from the desire to unite and toward isolation and becoming more separate. To summarize, increases in the number of people living alone, larger homes for smaller families, fewer family meals together, the negative ramifications of social media and electronic communication, our leaders voting increasingly along party lines and unwillingness to compromise, the higher rates of mental illness and depression and anxiety and suicide among our young people. All of these are symptoms of a problem that goes much deeper. All of these are symptoms that point to a need for inner healing of the soul. Our inner dysfunction is literally tearing us apart. So where do we begin the healing process? Relationally, we have to start by becoming more aware of what, is, what, is, what actually is going on inside of us. We need to become witnesses or observers of our thoughts. Science tells us that up to 95% of our thinking is subconscious. That means we're really not aware of the nature of our thoughts. We don't know what we're thinking half the time. Our normal state of awareness is what psychologist Steve Taylor refers to as a sleep state. And this state of relative unawareness is causing us great harm in terms of our overall inner and thereby outer health. How much harm? According to the National Science Foundation, an average person has about 12,000 to 60,000 thoughts per day. Of those, 80% are negative and 95% are repetitive thoughts. So not only are the bulk of our thoughts negative, but we are actually reinforcing that negativity through the act of repetition. How damaging that has to be. So how do we counteract it? By becoming more aware of our thoughts, or as some spiritual teachers like to say, Rising to a new level of consciousness. What does that involve? How do the unaware become more aware? By following wise advice. Timeless advice. King Solomon, who reigned in ancient Israel nearly 3,000 years ago, was the wisest man of his time. Here's what the Bible says about him. 
Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the East and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else, and his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs numbered 1,005. From all nations, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom, sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. You can read about Solomon in the book of 1 Kings, chapter 4. He wrote over 3,000 proverbs, we're told, and a number of them are preserved for us today to benefit from. Among them are several that he wrote to his sons, hoping to pass his own wisdom on to them. In one of those proverbs, he wrote, Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning. Do not forsake my teaching. Here Solomon is earnestly pleading with his sons to listen to his advice and put it into practice. Later in this proverb, and we're reading from Proverbs chapter 4 in the Bible, he makes a most critical point to them in regard to improving their awareness. He said, Above all else, Guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. That's Proverbs 4, verse 23. Guard your heart. That means be a witness or observer of your thoughts, your inner self. Become more aware of that 95% of subconscious thought and action that we have up until now been totally unaware of. You know, Jesus instructed his disciples to do the same in one of his allegories. He said here in Mark chapter 13, verses 33 through 37, Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone. Watch. The context of Jesus' discourse here is the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. He's asking his disciples to be watchful of the times in which they're living in, to be watchful not only of that, but of the condition of their own thoughts. Now here the disciples were admiring the magnificence of the buildings. When Jesus informed them that the time was coming, that not one stone will be left on another, every one of them would be thrown down, he told them in verse 2 of Mark 13. Now what Jesus is referring to here is not so much the physical structures, but what they represent. The temple in Jerusalem at the time 
was constructed by King Herod the Great. It is a metaphor for the thoughts and works of men. The temple complex was a massive structure of extraordinary beauty. It took 46 years to build and was the crown centerpiece of the Jewish faith. But it came about by the thoughts and works of men. So what Jesus was telling his disciples was the thoughts that have built the temple and the, and the society around it, it was that that was not going to last. The entire system was to be thrown down. Is that not the lesson of human history? Did all great societies have come and gone? They rise and they fall? Every society, from ancient Egypt and Babylon, to the Persian Empire, to Alexander's Greek Empire, to the Roman Empire, to the British Commonwealth of Nations, all have risen and fallen. Mark 13, along with Matthew 24 and Luke 21, all make reference to the so-called end times. They appear to be a time of tumult in the outside world. They're talking about famines and earthquakes and things of this nature. But what is being spoken about here by Jesus is really our inside world. Since all healing takes place from the inside out, so does all distress and tumult. He begins his discourse by saying, Watch out that no one deceives you. In Mark 13, 5. What does this mean? It means be alert, be aware, be awake. All that has to do with thought. His return is to the minds of men. For the kingdom of God is within you, it says in Luke 17, 21. His return to the minds of men comes through greater awareness of thought. It is awakening, enlightenment, resurrection, and rebirth. If you follow the path to enlightenment, as those of you who are listening to this program today, you are learning how to become a light to the world. And this light shines inwardly and brings forth healing from the inside out. Where do we go from here? What is this how-to of enlightenment? How is our inner life transformed? How is our soul brought to joy? We'll talk about the answer to these questions and more in another segment of Change Your Mind About You. That's all I have for you today. Thank you once again for listening. This is your host, Kevin Maxane. Till we meet again, Take care, think happy thoughts, and enjoy life. Be well, my friends.